Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Welcome to my favorite time of the week. Um, we're very lucky this week to have Angie Klein. And Angie's at the moment in New Jersey. Uh, she has an office there with Verizon. And she's also um, uh, works in New York as well. She's the VP of Consumer Segment Marketing at Verizon, one of the world's top global brands. She's had multiple VP leadership roles uh, in wireless and uh, what we call wireline. She's been there for 19 years and loves that combination of helping her team do some blue sky thinking, but always grounded in evidence and data. So Angie, welcome. Great having you here. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me, both of you. Great. Well, I, I think the first thing, um, we've got a lot of topics that we can talk about. Um, you know, you've, you've been in the heart of COVID-19 yeah. and particularly your credo of run towards a crisis, not away at Verizon, which I so love. And also Black Lives Matter, it's a very big topic for us all. And, and you've got some stories to tell there. You've also got some lovely stories to talk about the charity work that you do uh, in your spare time, though you work so hard. I don't know if you have any small time, uh, spare time. And also lovely stories about coming from a small town in Nebraska where your family were farmers. So where do we begin? Perhaps we deal with dealing with a crisis, uh, the okay. COVID-19 crisis, and, and your experience and your advice to people listening. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, first of all, um, Verizon has done an excellent job um, really stepping up to the leadership plate when it comes to COVID. Um, and then, you know, translating that into Black Lives Matter, too. And when I think about our credo, which is kind of how we ground our employee base at Verizon and who we are, one of the lines of that credo is we run to a crisis, not away, as you said. And um, it has been part of our, you know, DNA for a long time, whether it's hurricanes. I was part of the New York team when Hurricane Sandy hit years ago. And I just think back to that time, we lost about a billion dollars worth of our network in lower Manhattan alone and 250 tons of copper. And we had a command center for about four months. And what you find is we have a playbook for crises um, at Verizon. And it is typically these um, God, disasters like, you know, like hurricanes or wildfires or um, tornadoes. And we have a playbook that works. And when you think about COVID, that playbook didn't fully align. First of all, it was nationwide, um, certainly centered in pockets like New York, even more heavily at the start. Um, but it wasn't a natural disaster. Um, it was a health crisis coupled with an economic crisis, coupled with an employee crisis. Um, and having to change all those things at once. And the leadership team still took the credo of run to a crisis and looked at um, our CEO defines our, you know, our stakeholder group says employees, customers, shareholders, and society. And when we look at how we prioritize those differently, you know, employees probably became one of the first things that was a priority, getting getting our employee base home. We have thousands of call center reps, thousands of store reps, thousands of technicians that go into customers' homes. Um, and our, of course, our management staff. Pretty easy to transition um, the management staff to work from home. Call center employees, quite different. Our technicians, almost difficult to like, they can garage from home, but they still have to do their work in the field. And we put our employees first, number one, figuring out how to get all of us in different, closing most of our stores across the country, putting our employees first there and also customers. Um, but also for those that couldn't work from home, doing incentive pay um, for those employees immediately um, and, and working with them on the right things to do. Then you have our customers, which is kind of where my team really looked at what's happening to customers. Their lives are changing. Um, they need more data. Our, data, our network was going to be taxed in different ways. People were using lots of data at home and all working from home suddenly across the country. And if you think about our network, it was, it, it was a shining moment for us. It always is at Verizon, but I would say that was great. But we also gave customers more data. So every customer had an unlimited plan, got more hotspot data. Every customer that had a shared data on us for free 
um, for those first two months as everyone was adjusting and, you know, from international long distance, et cetera. And we really rallied and said, you know, the discussions that were happening about essential workers and those who serve, your first responders in military, we've had a long standing commitment to in Verizon. And my team, very proud of them, looked at who else are we now hearing are those who serve, that those who take jobs that typically are not at the highest end of the pay scale, um, that generally serve the wider good, and are we doing enough for them? And we expanded our best pricing um, for our unlimited plans to, and across our Verizon Fios internet uh, plans to nurses and teachers on top of military and first responders. So we're very proud, and we were able to do that, something that would normally take months um, within uh, you know 30 days that we got into market um, and we're able to and that's a permanent program that's something we're now committed to and are those who serve segments and you know those are just one of many different programs that we launched in this very much you know rally moment for all of us across the company to say what more can we do we donated more than 50 million dollars from our foundation to different charitable supporting first responders supporting no kid hungry um, those efforts are who we are. And again, we talked about it every day. Our leadership team put a noon call every day. It's going on right now. So a lot of Verizon people are probably tuned into that, really having those um, difficult and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, but important ones. Right now, we have three of my colleagues who are black men talking about their experiences on a, on a different webcast that's going on right now. And we've been having those discussions for the last couple of weeks. And they're wonderful because they're there, we learn, we listen, um, and we change our, our policies, and we're looking to help change policies of society as a whole. And so all these things coming together at this time have been wonderful. Forbes actually um, recognized Verizon as the number one large company responder to the COVID crisis. Um, and I think that says a lot about our senior leadership team at the top. Um, you've asked me, Jonathan, who, who are leaders that I look at and I think our yeah. executive, who, inspire? who inspires you Our well right now I'd say our senior exec team at Verizon we call them the Verizon um, leadership council or the VLC never been more impressed with our actions um, you know I talked to my team which is probably close to 150 people and the general sentiment is many of us have been with the company a long time not everybody some have been you know earlier but never been more proud to be at Verizon than right now and that says a lot for um, the company and how we're responding in this crisis to everybody, to employees, to all those stakeholders. I would say the the shareholders is is the one that we put to the side right now. And so let's focus on employees, not to the side completely, you know, because our but our focus being on employees and customers and society ultimately will have returns for our shareholders. And we know that and we're very focused on that right now. That's a, that's a really great attitude. And sadly, I see it in too few companies that they take that, the right, doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and uh, if you were to pick one particular inspiring leader who you've worked with over the years in any crisis or any situation, who, who would you nominate by name? And, and what qualities have you admired about them in a crisis? This one's a hard question because there's, there's about 50 people I could mention and probably 10 that I would love to mention. But I was thinking about your question when you've asked me this before in our discussions, Jonathan, about what do I view as inspiring leadership or what do I view as great leadership overall? And what I was finding myself um, thinking about was the juxtaposition of these kind of things with leadership that what I love about an excellent leader is that they have to be brilliant, but alternatively, they know they don't have all the answers, <laughs> You know, uh, that they are completely confident and exude that confidence yet have an, a massive amount of humility. Um, and the other one is that they're, they have a ton of vision. Um, it can drive like the mission for the organization at the, the kind of the big thinking level, but also understand that the details matter. Every little thing matters. Every part of the customer experience matters. Um, and then one that doesn't have that juxtaposition is that they're always human. You know, they're always just authentically human. And so when I think back to leaders like that, um, I have a handful of them. And again, our BLC today, many of them in that senior, our CEOs of our different business groups, our CMO and our CEO for all business groups, our head of HR, all of them exude these um, characteristics. But Bob Mudge was the leader of our wireline division for a number of years. I worked for him and he had the ability to 
distill complex things down simply. And he exuded all of those things, all those things that I, I said, that he was brilliant, but he was completely um, relied on his team and empowered them to find the answers and knew that he didn't have them all. He was completely humble and he could go out to our field forces and talk to our technicians and be as comfortable there as to the board. You know, it was, I learned a lot from, from him and he gave me a lot of chances. Um, and there were a lot of other people um, that have done that along the way for me too. So if you make me pick one, I'll say him. Yeah. No, uh, thank you for, for, for his story. Uh, um, my, my curiosity is um, few organizations have a real pool of talent of that level. Uh, clearly there's been a number of generals and special forces guys on this series that Ben and I are doing. Um, and they train people up, you know, they spend thousands of pounds developing leaders. But yeah. but most most businesses never spend very much. If they spend two and a half grand on someone, they think that's an awful lot of money to develop them as a leader. But um, it sounds like Verizon has that ability to have a real pool of talent and leadership does matter. How, how important is leadership to, to Verizon and the development of leaders? Yeah, I think it's, well, it, our, our business will make or break on the leadership um, and what we do with our employee base overall and, and having them all be empowered to make decisions. And, um, you know, when you're a company and we operate in a matrix, um, you know, when you're at the scale of, you know, we have 80 million roughly consumer customers in, you know, phone customers alone. If you had our business group, you're 120, 130 million customers that we're serving every day, um, 130,000 employees. Like the, the scale of operation that we, we do, I always say that it's no different than running a small business. The difference is it's just much, it's just add zeros. You know, you, you have to make decisions on the consumers and how you think about the, the details and the little things. The other difference though, is we do a lot of that um, in a matrix. You become, you know, defined in more of an expertise because of the scale we are. So you have to figure out how to work across that, across that matrix, cross-functionally, and that, that's not always easy because there'll be a lot more, I'd say, debates about mm. what we should do. There's a lot more people at the table helping make the decisions. So um, in that case, you actually learn to be better colleagues. You learn um, that, that diversity is our strength because it makes us better. Um, so, I, you know, I, when I look at all of that, like how we do leadership training, some of it's on the job based on the organizational mm. structure of a huge company and a huge matrix. Because yeah. you won't survive if you're not a good leader. You won't be able to have the results. Um, the other part of it is, though, we have a, a lot of leadership training that we do. Um, our, our, our CEOs over the last couple, uh, couple of CEOs have made a, the, the top leadership, about 300 people, um, a curriculum that we go through usually two or three times a year that are customized um, specifically for the top leaders. And um, we start to instill that into our culture, the things that come out of that. And we know that all leaders have been through that same training. So it is a, it absolutely is a um, yeah. critical part of our focus. Which leads me on to the next question, which is, it's no good having a leader if you don't have a good team. And, and you've been in, in many teams, you know, you want yeah. followership as well as leadership. And uh, I think it's General Jonathan Shaw said that, you know, leadership is getting people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I quite like that as a, as a quote, but, but what about teams? What, if you've been in a good team in a crisis and, and so many of us uh, have teams in a crisis right now, what qualities did the team show and, and, and what was the crisis scenario you could describe? Um, I'll use the, you know, I could use today's, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. certainly we've done a lot with, with COVID and the team coming together and, um, you know, the general block and tackle rule is what I would say, you know, to use a, a football, uh, well, a, a U.S. football analogy for, for you. Um, we're, we're educated. We get it. We get it. <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I'd say that people kind of really start to look at what we need to have done and we align. So, But if I look at Hurricane Sandy, which was a different time, so I can talk a lot about COVID, but um, during Hurricane Sandy... Um, you know, there was an inspiring part about like, this is an opportunity. So it wasn't looking at the crisis of just a response and what we had to do. We had lost a huge portion of our network, meaning it was gone like copper. There was, so this was when, um, the superstorm Sandy hit say Southern Manhattan from both sides. And there was flooding, you know, seven, eight feet across the Southern part of Manhattan. And our network was heavily copper. 
still um, in um, what a lot of even wireless transition um, transmissions, about 80% end up running across landline networks or wireline fixed networks. Um, but a lot of our Southern Manhattan was copper still and it got wet and copper doesn't do well with water. And so our network was gone. And what would have been, you know, the, the leadership team from our field operations, I was doing marketing and sales, but at the same time, we were all together as a team to say, how do we respond to our customers? They're going to be out of service for a little while, but how do we rally the troops across the country, um, get everybody here? You know, what do we need to do to, to replace our network and not replace copper, but we rewired all of downtown Manhattan in a very short period. <clears throat> something that had taken years to build partnerships with the city um, partnerships, you know, with our, our vendors for fiber and rewired all of downtown Manhattan. Um, and again, it was a billion dollars of network damage. And we did that very much as a team to say, this is a chance to not only fix, but like innovate and take <coughs> this chance to like, you know, go to a new level. And we were able to do that very quickly. So sometimes I think leadership is taking crises and seeing how you change for the better at the out afterwards. And even yeah. taking COVID, one of the things that I love that our CEO did um, and CFO publicly was right when this happened in the economic crisis, we knew, you know, the likelihood of recession, companies pull back, companies do that. We announced an increase of half a billion dollars in our capital spend for this year alone on 5G to show the uh, basically good corporate leadership to say, you know what, this is a time we should invest more, not, not pull back. Um, and certainly in the infrastructure in the U.S. And we did that. We committed to an additional half a billion. And on Verizon's um, scale of capital, it's, it's, um, it's still a lot of money. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And, and also, it's been on our minds so much about Black Lives Matter. Uh, yes. what's, what's your view of what's happening in, in America? I and mean, you can see what's happening around the world. And what actually, rather than just be taught, what actually is going to change? Yeah. Um, I hope a lot. And I, the one thing that I am probably more um, happy about is that the conversations now are more diverse, meaning those of us that are in positions of privilege, I think are recognizing our need to react and respond and be more than just disagreeing with policies or seeing those policies, but actually taking action ourselves. Um, you know, I, I'd say the diversity of the protests are inspiring to me because um, I think it was the artist Banksy had said something about, which I, I I loved how he put it. He's like, you know, if there's a leaky pipe in your neighbor's apartment upstairs, you know, it's hard for you to fix it. And, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it, it's very true. If, you know, if you think about, you know, white society with, with the privilege that we have, it's as much our job, if not more, to fix the, the the racial the systematic racism that exists and it does and first of all to not admit that it exists is a complete flaw and you know i work for a company that has always um you know certainly championed diversity um, we were thrilled yesterday with the supreme court ruling here in the u.s um, on lgbtq rights um, and transgender rights and the workplace so that was a you know certainly a watershed moment um, and we will celebrate that. Um, but Black Lives Matter, we're celebrating um, in the sense of the conversations, the raw and real conversations that need to happen. And that even our policies that we think are good are still likely not enough. And um, it's those, I need to listen and learn more. And I've, we've done more of that, um, you know, having conversations with my teams. And, and we've created toolkits um, that our HR team and our um, leadership team has put out there for every employee to be able to use and having these conversations and what they can do. And yesterday we announced um, some, some actions you can take um, places that you can volunteer. One of we're doing a, you know, a walk um, that you can actually walk um, to raise awareness, but also um, we have a volunteer commitment in our company. Um, and one of them, like just one example is to translate um, digitally um, letters from slaves. Like there are things that we can do that while we're working from home that do impact, like the stories, the understanding of the history. And those those things matter. All of it matters. And I, again, I think it's just a raw conversation. I certainly don't have all the answers, but um, my colleagues that are willing to um, help me listen and learn and also to call out 
um, and to be more actively anti-racist is probably the, I'd say, the obligation of all of us in leadership. Yeah. Now, I could I could ask you a whole load of different questions on different things, and we'll come back to that perhaps about the charity work you do um, in the Laurie Side Girls. Perhaps you could talk about that just very briefly. But then sure. I want um, Ben will be just checking in on how we're doing with questions and things and his quickfire questions. But would you just talk about um, the, the the work you do to support uh, a charity in New York and, and yes. what, what's so important about that linked to Black Lives Matter as well? Yeah, it is um, in a sense that, um, so the Lori Side Girls Club in New York, um, so there's girls and boys clubs of America. In New York, um, in 1996 or so, whenever the boys clubs and girls club joined forces, um, in New York, they remained independent. So the girls club, is it's, it's focused on young girls um, between the ages of eight and 18. Um, and it serves a, a very diverse part of the city in the Lower East Side. Um, most of our the girls that we support come from the New York Housing Authority housing um, development across the street from where our facility is. Um, but we focus a lot on STEM programs. Um, so, you know, from science, technology, engineering, and math, but also art, and really helping these young girls understand their potential and giving them programs and activities and ways to learn how to code. We have a planetarium in the, in the facility. And I think about the, the work that the, the girls club staff does to inspire these young women, many of whom are, or most of whom are black and brown, um, about the potential opportunities they have and to, you know, just put that spark of interest um, in something they may want to explore more um, and providing them programs, even like summer camp, which we normally do this year, we won't be able to do our summer camps that mm -hmm. most of these, these girls would never have the opportunity to do um, and right now we've really shifted during COVID with the girls club, focusing on the needs of the families, which has been food, like providing meals even. And that's the role that this, this type of charitable organization can, can do in society. And we get a lot of support, um, but not at probably enough. There's so much more we can do. Um, and you know, I think, I think back, I've, I've talked a lot about my grew up in a small town, as you mentioned. And I grew up with com complete community support, complete parental support, um, uh, like a lovely place to grow up. We did not have money, but I did not have negative exposure. And I think that's one thing I realized when these young girls, they have systemic racism that they might have to overcome. They have maybe have a family member in prison. Um, a significant portion do. There's a significant portion of the kids in the Lower East Side um, still do not graduate from high school. I think it'd be shocking. It's like over 50%. Um, and so like you realize that there's just a not, there's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of in the, in the neighborhood or in their, even maybe in their families that they don't get the support that I never had that negative influence. So I think there has to be something that overcomes that for these girls. And I think that's a lot of what the mission of this is, is to provide that positive alternative. And so if interested, uh, girlsclub.org, um, anybody that's listening or tuned in, we always could use more support. We have our virtual gala, our biggest annual fundraiser next Thursday. Um, so very excited about that. Rosario Dawson, the actress is hosting it. And we'll have some um, special guests. Last year, Colin Kaepernick joined us um, at it and was honored. He's been a very big supporter of the Girls Club here in New York. So we're thrilled. Um, with the work we do, we just know we have a lot more of it to do. Well done, Angie. Thank you. I'll pass you over to um, to Ben now. Ben, over to you, and, and just see how we're getting on with questions and things. Great, Angie. So good to have you uh, on board. It's been been lovely to hear about your experience, your work, and how your company has dealt with um, this sort of ever, ever changing uh, crisis. It amazes me how quickly that you seem to have been able to move, which has, with such a large. Um, larger company mm -hmm. how on earth do you, do you guys do that um well so the one thing i i do i will say like our networks matter <laughs> and these having the best networks allows us to make changes faster for our employee base etc so you know we've had we, we deal with crises a lot but we um you know the other thing that i would say balancing with this crisis is not just a normal hey we're running it's our job and it's you're at you know, 100 mile an hour for a while, you're also doing it while everyone's home life has changed. Their kids are home. They're, you know, fighting for space with their, you know, spouse maybe that's also working from home. Like all of this work was done in a time when the surround was changed for every employee that was doing it. And 
um, you know, being on that treadmill, uh, we were being on the, I was on the treadmill for those first couple of weeks, but not losing any weight um, because I (laughs) stuck to a zoom meeting. Um, But it's like, you know, that this has been unique, a unique experience and very unique for many other crises we've ever, ever dealt with. And I don't think we'll probably um, ever go back um, to Mm. how things were. I will say I've been impressed and I'm sure that most people have that how well we have adjusted to being on a video camera all day long, you know? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you've gone through um, a, a really successful career and, and, and had had lots of different challenges and, and, and it sounds like met a few crises head, head on um, during that time. Have you maintained your health both physically and mentally during the, all those sort of tougher times? I was going to say like um, <laughs> red wine. <laughs> <laughs> I, they, they say that like one glass a day is healthy. I don't know that I'm meaning that standard, but um, no, I, I would say, I, you know, one thing I try to do, and I don't do it as well as I should. So I'm not also, I'm completely a, not going to lie. Um, I, I run. Um, I try to run at least a few times a week. Um, I, I don't do as much as I used to in terms of the, the length and duration. Um, the other thing I would say I'm pretty good at is I keep very close touch with my family. My I lost my mother last year, but my um, father and sister and husband and for her four kids, um, you know, I probably talk with them multiple times a week, maybe more than they want to. Um, and also my friends. Um, I am a, a hyper loyal friends. And so I try to get my work life balance to have just its personal connection is really important to me. I will say that's been the hardest thing for me with mm. COVID is I, I am, I live alone, I'm single. And as a result, like the personal connection of human touch, like, you know, I feel bad for the people when this fully opens up on the amount of hugs I will give um, to people <laughs> that haven't seen me in a long time. Uh, the personal connection of using video calling and staying more connected with my friends and family probably than ever before has been really critical. And I think that's for our mental health too, um, really important. Yeah, totally. I'm, I think that's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, family in the, in the house so uh, do have that that physical contact but I, it, it's, it must be a massive thing for a lot of people yeah. um so we've got I a couple always, of questions I do joke, though, on the alternative of that ben is i'm not certain if it's mm. better to be uh, you know cooped up alone or cooped up with people because <laughs> you, you probably sometimes yeah the yeah family I, think, <laughs> I think there's lots of people who are feeling that that pressure <laughs> My mother, for example, (laughs) she's feeling that that pressure of being cooped up with me. So, um, so, so we've got a a couple of questions coming on the feed. Um, A couple of interesting ones. So, I suppose this is more of an opinion, um, which um, which is interesting. Around, um, I'll put it up on the screen. But um, a playbook approach. Uh, Why do you think we were surprised by COVID, especially when um, the POTUS and Bill Gates warned it was a feasible threat? Was it just too big to have a contingency? Oh, that's a good. Um, mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, it's, a, it's actually a great question. And like as a corporation, you know, I, I'm certain we had we had crisis moments where what if we had to move employees? Um, and we kind of operated in a playbook that existed. I'd mm. say for the country, we did not have a good enough playbook. Um, you know, I, I think it was it's been. You know, what was the last pandemic? This was it the sixties, but um, probably not at the scale. I mean, mm. talking about the nineteen eighteen Spanish flu, when we or have talked more about that. I've read more about that than I, you know, ever did before, and I <laughs> learned about it in school. Yeah. Um, so I think some of it was it just feels too distant from when it's ever really happened before, and it's it's just short term thinking. And I think that's it's a really good lesson for us that this this will happen again. We're a more connected society. You know, if if there's a virus the likelihood that it spreads at this level and i mean the positives are you know i i listened to a podcast recently about four years i think it was mumps was the last the shortest Mm. um vaccine ever created it took four years um but the way that science then how we're advancing the testing and how many multiple options in labs already you know clearly it will beat that by a while but it's still going to be probably a year and a half you know um before we have a vaccine um, so I think, and it's a great question, I, I'd say from a government perspective, we've got more to mm. do. Um, and from yeah. a corporation perspective, it's time for us to look at all of our playbooks that we do have and make sure the scale of the disaster. I, I would say I, I felt Verizon, um, the playbooks we had for other disasters were just used at a larger scale in this one. And yeah. we were able to operationalize that very quickly and very effectively. Mm. Um, 
but but certainly not every company could do that. And we're very lucky to be in the type of industry we're in, which is almost a requirement. Home broadband and wireless yeah. right now became more essential than it ever has. So. Yeah, totally. I think it's one of those things where where so many people have warned everybody that this this was a possibility that 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 a pandemic is is um is something that's definitely going to happen in in our in our future yeah. um but no one's got almost the, the the ability to actually imagine that happening on a, on a on a global scale unless it's happened in your in your in your lifetime lifetime yeah i agree yeah um, and very well, very difficult to plan plan for. <laughs> Even as we saw it um, happening in different countries, we were still thinking, "Well, we'll be okay." <laughs> Most countries. Well, it's happening now, Ben. Like you know, mm. if you think about it, we've gotten like look what's happening. It's in lots of parts of the U.S. Is we you yeah. know, we closed down for a while. We we're we had fatigue from closing down, and now we're seeing yeah you know, places like Arizona with over ninety percent increases. Florida spiking. I mean, mm. the reality is it's it's still here and it's still here and very material and we've still got to be socially distancing and well, taking precautions yeah. and wearing masks and doing all those things. Wishful thinking doesn't, doesn't help. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that, so that, that, that was a question from, um, James Richardson. Thank you, James. Um, so we've got another one from, um, um, Richard Goff. Yeah. Um, so if there's one change, Angie would like to see in how organizations are led, what would it be? probably more diversity at the top, yeah. more women and people of color. Um, that's, you know, it's certainly, um, I'm, I'm lucky to work in the company I am, but I would say we still have room to go there. If I look at our executive level, um, mm -hmm. we need more women and more people of color. Our board is pretty diverse. I think we've got about 50% of our board being a diverse board. Um, but that's another area for every company um, to look at that ultimately that matters. And we've got we've to start to build those opportunities and build up the leadership. And that's, you know, Jonathan, to your point about leadership development and training, um, heavily focused in those areas. It, will, it matters. It's, it's, who, it's society. So I think that's probably mm -hmm. one area I'd like to see even more. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's another thing that we're often and, and have been very blinkered about. I think that that um, people see change happen, but it's not happened quick enough, and it's not happened mm -hmm. deep enough. Um, thanks, Richard. So uh, another question can, from can Sean. Here. Can I pick up on and Sean Taylor because Sean I know well. We yeah, absolutely. We in the army together, and Sean is now uh, doing uh, some excellent work in financial services. But he writes one of the best blogs that's come up during the crisis. I recommend you read Sean's blog. But um, Angie, there. Uh, what, what about you know? He's looking at female leaders in mm -hmm. uh, in different countries like New Zealand, Germany. Yes. They've done so much better than the male strongman uh, leaders like <laughs> Boris and you know Trump. Um, what's what's your view? There's no female here that has any sort of question about why this is, like, or no surprise. No, uh, <laughs> there's probably a lot of men that don't have any surprise on this either. But I think it's actually, you know, in this case, it's a human crisis. And I think the ability to lean into the humanity part of that, women are 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 generally very good at, and understanding that, you know, bringing people together is better than trying to divide people and try to make it a political thing when it's not. Mm. And um, I think that's the challenge in the U.S. right now is it's it started to become political um, and we can't eschew science and reality. We've got to trust the experts that we have. And granted, you know, there has been flaws there, too, that, you know, this was a, a novel virus. So it was changing. Mm. And, you know, the understanding and willingness to um, be OK with the guidance might change a little bit as we learn. That's what learning is when it's a novel virus. And I, you know, it's just like anything, anybody that changes their mind over time and, and thinks um, differently because they've learned something more. We should, we sometimes have a pen, uh, desire to penalize them in the political sphere when it's in a, something like this, it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the fact that we've got to continue to learn and adjust our, and, and react. Um, and I think the female leaders, you know, certainly have done a better job focused on the societal part of this and the human part of it versus the politics part of it. Mm. I think it's a great question from, from, from Sean. And I think the, the comment, um, male strongman leaders is, is really poignant within this because all those leaders that you mentioned, Jonathan and, and, and people like Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, 
um, they made this crisis about them and they it didn't make it about right. about the people, um, which is obviously the most important factor. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, New Zealand's such a such a great example. Um, fantastic, thanks, Sean. Um, so uh, another question, um, excellent talk. Can you tell us how you support people with mental health challenges such as autism and anxiety um, that are exacerbated during this crisis times? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think this is a corporate responsibility too, is to understand and have the resource resources available. So certainly at Verizon, we have, um, you know, whether it's crisis lines or um, support lines for people that that do have, that need support with our healthcare overall. Um, and just recognizing your, your own mental health and when you need a break and when you just step away and having those conversations with your, um, your immediate leader, your boss um, about that. Like, you know, there, there were times, I think one weekend we had been on calls. It was like 12 hours a day for about, I, don't know, I think it was like 12 days in a row at the early parts of the crisis. And I was starting to realize that my level of um, blood pressure in certain calls was going to go up. I'm like, I need a, I need a breather. I need, I need a breather. I need to take a half a day. Like, so, mm. and it was a Sunday, by the way, at the time, because we were in a crisis mode early. And then what we realized is this wasn't a sustainable thing um, for all of us that were running on that pace and starting to set rules like, you know, 12 to one every day, no meetings after 6 PM, like, you know, setting those, those kind of things for the company to help with, um, just the level of change here but for people with autism or anxiety there's a lot there's a lot more complexity in that and making sure that the tools that you have the the personal coping mechanisms and also leveraging many companies that certainly if you work for a company like the scale of a larger company are going to have resources and tools for you and to fully use those um, i think sometimes we're ashamed to use those even you know those of us that may not have diagnosed autism or anxiety like but but there are times we get anxiety and utilize those tools even if it's not something that's part of your life every day and um there's we also recognizing as leaders that um some of our you know best employees might have these um parts of their lives that they're unwilling to share and that's there's nothing to be ashamed of mm. Yeah, that's and and thanks um, to Kate. Um, I think it's McEwen who's who asked, asked that question. Um, really, really important um, during these times. I know people are really struggling, and and and, and it's almost like a sort of emotionally grinds you down over time. Um, so really important. Um, One thing I'll I'll add to that is don't forget to take your vacation. I think we as yeah. because this like you can't go anywhere. I've fallen into this where I like saving up all my vacation for the next time that I might actually <laughs> go someplace and look at my wanderlust list. Ultimately, I needed I need to take a vacation. I took two days off. I know this is going to sound sad, but I like took two days off and I cleaned out my closet. Um, it was the first two days I've taken off this year, a couple weeks ago. Wow. And I'm like, you yeah. know what? It was like a sense of accomplishment and it didn't have my brain working in the normal way it works. Because if it was not a task that I had committed to do mm. like that, where it was just you know, I needed to do that. Like some people have gardens, some people do that, like take the time and separate from the, the brain thinking because you're- And can I, it. can yeah. I add to that, Angie, um, a couple of the other leaders that Ben and I have worked with, <clears throat> they say that as the leader, you have to take a, like a long weekend. So not this weekend, but the next weekend, I'm gonna take a long weekend. Um, and we're looking after Lee's mom, who's got Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and lots of uh, at-risk things. But but her sister's going to look after her, so we're going to have a long weekend away from caring for the last three years that we've been doing. And then we're going to take a summer holiday in August, and we've cleared it out. We're not going anywhere, but we're just not looking after her mom, and we'll have a break, and we'll just have a staycation. And, and if leaders don't take these breaks, all the leaders have talked about it, the leaders got to lead by example. They've got to say, I'm on, I'm, I'm on a long weekend. I'm not here Friday and Monday and not be there, not to answer things. Just don't be there. Trust your deputy, appoint mm -hmm. someone as a deputy and get them to lead so that the others go, oh, well, if Angie's taking time off, it's okay for me to take time off. But if she never takes time off, I can't take time off either. And, and, mm -hmm. and we saw this in the, in the US military when we worked alongside them, that they were particularly hardworking. So the general would come in after his morning run at 4.30. He'd come in and he'd be working at 6. So the, so the colonel felt they had to come in before the, the, the general, and the major felt they had to come in before they... And so the poor old private soldier, I mean, he, he went to bed last and he got up first. And, like, it was just not fair. So they, they called it out. The guys went, this is ridiculous. 
just show up when you got to do your work. But you've got to, as a leader, take the holidays and the breaks so that others know it's okay to do so, rather than say, yeah, yeah, yeah take holidays, guys. I'm not taking holiday, but you take holidays. Like, don't send emails on weekend, but I'll send you emails on Sunday. <laughs> no, don't send them emails on Sunday because they'll all respond to them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's also that? a great opportunity for, for, for your deputy to to get experience as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Being, yeah. Stepping into your, into your shoes. Um, uh, another good question from, from, from Jim. Jim. Um, throughout history, during times of crisis, leaps in innovation take place. What will Verizon's contribute, contribution be? Um, so this is a good question, Jim. I know Jim from long times of working with him um, over the years. Um, uh, I would say that Verizon's contribution is probably going to be our leaning into um, our, our network overall, working from home and making sure that all of our networks are able to change the way that, you know, teachers teach and um, employees are able to do their work. And I think when we, we have a very big focus on sustainability in Verizon as well. And one thing I loved about the COVID crisis, if there's anything to love, is that we've proven that our impact on climate with commuting all that can be quite changed by working from home and part of the enablement of that is um the networks and that we build at verizon um and that we support for home broadband and our wireless network and um so i think you know 5g is going to change a lot of how society works um on that front as well um and doubling down our investment in 5g ultra wideband in addition to just the 5G story overall. Um, we were the first in the world to launch 5G and um, we're gonna be the best. And I think that contribution is part of our history. Um, it's not just part of the crisis, but I think we're leaning into it even more and seeing how it can change how we operate in society um, overall. Mm. Um, so great, great thanks for the question. Lovely. Okay. When he asked who my hero was, I would have to oh, say- Oh yeah, that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, um, that's a hard one for me, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out my dad, um, who's just a wonderful guy and he's always believed in me and never put, um, never put any barriers or, um, goalposts that out there for me just said, whatever you want to do, I'd support you. And I think that's, that's probably parenting's best approach mm. than he has. So. Lovely. Um, and Matthew's question, there remains a view that to reach C-suite and large corporate, um, you have to be educated above a master's level, often seen as a gateway, but could inhibit diversity. What's your perspective on that? Uh, I think it's a good question. And frankly, I don't have a master's. So I think this is a BS requirement. Actually, I know that a lot, a lot of the leaders that we have in companies don't have masters. Now they have a lot of history and a lot of, you know, they may be in the industry. I think as people uh, bounce around, I think there's a view of that, but I'd say it depends on the industry. And I think it, I don't think it's a requirement. Um, I think ongoing learning is a requirement and demonstrating that you have been willing to, you know, invest in your ongoing education beyond just your job. Um, you know, how I know Jonathan is through this marketing academy, um, that the marketing academy, which is a wonderful um, program um, based in, in Europe, but has expanded. I'm in the first cohort in the U S um, that's, it takes a lot of CMOs from a lot of companies and brings us together and, um, it's a really great development, but it's it's cross-functional development as well. The network is great. So the company, Verizon, um, has agreed to invest in me in that, and um, but it's also an investment in my time, and I was the one that applied and wanted to be part of this. So because I know that staying, I've been at Verizon 19 years, and for people that change companies, they get different learnings than someone that has changed a lot of um, roles in the same, same company. But man, the pace of change at Verizon has taught me a ton. Like, right, I've had a billion roles and it feels like in Verizon. So I've never felt like I'm stuck, but I do know that I can learn from others and I want to continue to invest in that. So even if it's not a formal MBA program, um, I don't think that's necessarily required. I think your track record um, shows your ability to lead um, and that you're willing that you've continued to stay ahead of the curve on learning and knowing whether that's with a formal degree program or not. Do I support formal degree programs? And do we hire a lot of people that have MBAs? Yes. Um, and by the way, a lot of them are smarter than me, um, which is great. Um, and that's also the role of a leader is to hire people that are better at things than you are. And um, so I don't think it's mandated. Um, you know, I think it is a nice to have if you have the time and the 
financial ability to do it. I, you know, yeah. I would always encourage it, but I, I don't think it's mandated. Great. Can I pick up the next one? If you could put up Phil Summerfield. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. So Phil, uh, nice to have Phil on. Phil uh, has been a very successful business leader who then in later life mm -hmm. became uh, an executive coach and he's a friend of mine. And uh, so he's got a good question. So Andy, do you think that females are better prepared and willing to be using the Harvard term, the incomplete leaders? So incomplete leaders leading complete teams that were always work in progress. Do you think females are better prepared to have that vulnerability and humility? Um, this one's a tough one because I think females generally, and I'm guilty of this personally, are less willing to take the risks when they're not fully prepared. As a general thing, you know, we see it, I see it with people in my team, when people don't feel confident to take the next role, the next step, because they're like, oh, I might need a little bit more, I'm not certain I'm ready. I, I see that more with women on questioning their ability because they don't have all the boxes checked for that role than, than say men. I think that's a general discussion mm -hmm. that a lot of women leadership programs you'll talk about is that willing to kind of jump in the deep end <laughs> before you know all the answers. Um, yeah. I think women do do well when they're there, but the confidence to actually jump in the deep end of the pool is not as confident. So we've got to build um, in women the 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 risk capability, the, the willingness to take the risks more often um, than they may be willing to today, because mm -hmm. I do think they will be better performance oftentimes when they are there because of the humility of not believing you know all the answers um, and to help build teams, um, which is a, you know, a skill that a lot of women, and that's by the way, a skill that men and women ha can have yeah. and that men and women cannot have, you know? So uh, to me, it's it, about leadership overall and, and taking yeah. the willingness to take the risk. You are so right. And uh, my wife, Lee, uh, did some research, she interviewed 200 women for her book, Inspiring Women Leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and Time and again, when she went to, to got in touch with uh, one of the women that others had recommend, she's really inspiring. Lee would speak to them. They go, "Oh no, no, I, I'm not inspiring, but I know somebody else who is." There's this person. She goes, "No, no, no, I'm staying with you because you're the one that they're saying." And and there was there was almost like yeah. they wouldn't go for certain roles because they had nine out of ten of the qualities. Whereas the blokes would blag it. Oh, I've got fifty percent. I'll have a go at it. No, we want the and, and at the last minute, a female headhunting colleagues who I know get so saddened by the fact that they've got a really good female candidate. She's just about to take the role. Oh no, no, perhaps I'm not quite ready yet. No, no, you are, please. Don't, don't do that. You know, you, you are so ready. Now, time is what it is. And, and Ben's gonna have the, the, the final question about, uh, he always likes to ask about books and things like that for you. So just to wrap up, it'd just be, be nice to, to, to finish those quick five questions because it was nice to complete the set. So healthy, wealthy, wise, we did healthy, wealthy. Mm -hmm. um, is there any piece of money advice that you give or you've been given that you um, live by? Uh, spend less than you make, I suppose, is probably the, the best. Um, you know, I, I would say one thing I, I like to do, even I think about the Girls Club, is that I don't think money is talked about enough. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, read the books. If you're not exposed to money, you weren't exposed. If you grew up, you know, without a family that invests or knew about investment. I mean, I think that's, you know, if you were kind of a hand to mouth, it, it, it is a, it's a more intimidating thing. So my, my recommendation is to read a lot. I, when I was young in my career, I read a lot um, about just financials and how to get ahead and how to save money and, um, you know, bought a house early because I knew that would be a good probably investment at the time the market was going up. So, you know, certainly I, I am smart with my money, but I also know to spend some of it to have a little fun. So I try to see the world um, with it. Nice. Um, and is there um, a, a saying or piece of wisdom that you strive to live your life by? Mm. Um, I would say live my life. I'll go with a corporate one. Um, you know, when I was in college, I was there was some speaker at one one thing. And I remember he had said, which is a quote from I'm not certain whom um, the people that know how will always work for the people that know why. And I, I kind of embraced that and thought, you know, I need to know why. I always need to know why. Um, mm -hmm. I need to look at to play the position above me on why I'm working on something um, to make it a, a bigger thing. And what I realized over time is that that even that statement by itself is the people that know how that will work for the people that know why has a separation between the two. And as a leader, I've always thought we should have very few people that don't know why. Like, in fact, everyone should know why. We should all be part mm -hmm. of the why um, because the only reason your way you're going to do good how is if you know the why. So as a leader, I'd say I have tried to bring in everybody to have that vision and understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, 
so that the how part is part and parcel of that versus separated as a, um, you know, go do. Yeah, no, great answer. Yeah, our um, our uh, previous CEO Jeff Weiner does something when people often bring him um, questions. He he doesn't just ask why. He asks why five times or, or more until <laughs> so it, it comes down those layers, which which is quite intimidating, I believe. But but it does actually get to the the, the kernel yes, of why you're does. actually doing something. Um, final question. Um, is there a, a book which is, has, has been important in your life or, or, or even just one that, 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 you, that you love at the moment? Yeah, I, I have like a list of books that I like oftentimes refer back to, um, you know, when leading people first break all the rules, like the whole Einstein quote about, you know, fish up a tree. <laughs> like you think, you know, like you, if you, you know, those, it's true. Like you have to understand the strengths of your people. So I always think about that. Um, the other one that I read recently, um, which my boss had asked me to read, I think based on how my brain works, I'm, um, it was Thinking Fast and Slow, which is not the easiest like read in terms of a quick read. It's not, but it's yeah. very good as a marketer and an intuitive person that naturally gets to, but I always want to back it with data, um, that like my brain recognizing my, the gaps that I didn't realize I was having, you know, because... I have a lot of data and a lot of information that's getting me to um, an answer that I might not be spending, I might get there quick too quickly and need to spend more time um, understanding a, a broader part. So like how your brain works and how you miss major things. It's a fascinating book about the psychological performance of the human mind. Um, and as a marketer, I think it's really important to understand that too. So both of those are great books. Fantastic. Such a lovely um, interview and uh, it's really great to meet you as well. Yes, thanks for having me, Ben. It was lovely to meet you, Jonathan, as always. You both uh, are wonderful, inspiring people, and thanks for doing this this um, and this whole series. I look forward to tuning in onto the next ones as well. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed. What are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.